You are listening to a Victory Labang podcast. There is a woman in the Bible who, at first glance, seems an unlikely role model for mothers. But God's grace can redeem even the unlikeliest of us all. Find out more in this message by Pastor Ariel Marquez. Today we are celebrating, and this is really a special day for mothers. This is still a series break. We're not starting a series until next week. But today we just want to uh, go ahead and camp and appreciate every mother that is here. And if, you're, if your mom is not here, we are also celebrating them today. And I believe that, you know, you are probably looking at, you know, just what would life be like without your mom. Today we're going to be looking at this particular character in the Bible you know, as we have been uh, meeting together with the pastors, you know, every year we celebrate Mother's Day, and we normally prepare Mother's Day sermon. And so, every time we would preach on a certain character in the Bible, we'd glean from that person, and we'd learn from her experience, her life, the way she raised up her family, and her relationship with her husband. But somehow, as this year, you know, it seems like. We, it seems like we've used every character we cannot possibly use in the Bible. But, you know, as we were praying among the pastors of uh, our church here in Alabang and together with our southern hub in Santa Rosa and Muntinlupa, we, we, we asked the Lord, we had this decision to preach on a certain character that you would normally not think of as a model mother. In fact, probably this character, as I am going to talk about her, she's probably not going to qualify for the Gawad Ulirang Ina Award. I think today, uh, the city of Montinlupa is awarding several moms uh, for this award. And you would not think of this character as somebody who would probably qualify as the 10 best mothers uh, of the year. Simply because of the stigma or the picture that the Bible or the you know, people have painted about her. And I'm talking about this character from the Old Testament named Bathsheba. Now, how many of you would like to be Bathsheba? This is what I expected. Nobody would dare raise their hands and say that I want to be like the other woman. I want to be the legal wife. And, you know, if you look at the character of Bathsheba, of course, she is one character in the Bible that was painted to be the adulterer. You know, if you would, you know, I, I've not yet heard of anybody named their daughter Bathsheba. Anybody here whose name is Bathsheba? Uh, now, if your name is Bathsheba, you know, that's a wonderful name. Okay, we're going to talk about that name later. But somehow, because of the stigma and because of the experience that she's had, we would rather not talk about her, but we would talk about David. And we would celebrate David. And we would talk about how David has turned around in, her, in his relationship with the Lord, but yet we have never talked about what happened to Bathsheba in the process. Now, I'd like to invite everyone to stand with me. I believe that all of you are probably curious what this word is going to be like. So open up your Bibles to 2 Samuel, if you do have a Bible, maybe a digital Bible, or a regular uh, paperback Bible. Let's read from 2 Samuel chapter 11. We're going to re- uh, read five verses this afternoon. 
beginning from verse uh, 1. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained where? In Jerusalem. It was a time where they should be leading the army. But him being the king chose to stay in Jerusalem. That's when the problem came in. Verse 2, it says, One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. And the man said, Isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. She had purified herself from her uncleanness. Then she went back home. She did not stay in the palace. Verse 5, the woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we ask that you would, by your Holy Spirit, show to us how you can redeem and restore a broken life. Now we thank you that Bathsheba is a character in the Bible that is viewed as sinful, an adulterer, somebody who failed you, somebody who came from a broken home. But yet we thank you also that you are a God who restores. You're a God who redeems. You're the God who forgives. All of us here would say that there are areas in our life that are broken. There are areas in our life that are needing mending. There are areas in our life that are needing redemption and forgiveness. We thank you that you are a God of grace, and you're a God who restores, and you're a God who lavishly gives out your love for your children. This we ask, our God, bless the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may all be seated. I guess, you know, thousands of pastors today are probably talking about Mother's Day, and... Maybe there's quite a few, or maybe there's none, who would probably take Bathsheba as the main character in celebrating Mother's Day. You know, we would take normally Mary, you know, somebody, you know, who's, you know, uh, uh, really a good, from coming from a good lineage. Or maybe, you know, you look at the book of Proverbs, but in reality... You know, it's kind of hard for us to unpack this character called Bathsheba. But let me just submit to you that, you know, even as we celebrate David, and we're so familiar, how many of you are familiar with David? You know, we're so familiar with David. This is our favorite bedtime stories with our kids. David and Goliath is probably one of the, you know, most read story in the Bible, not only in churches, but even among homes. We know that David is somebody who as a young boy was chosen by God, anointed by him. And yet, you know, despite the fact that he committed adultery, despite the fact that he committed murder, you know, at the end of his life, people would still celebrate David as somebody who is a man after God's own heart. And so the stigma, when you say David, people will say David is the best king that Israel ever had. But yet, what about Bathsheba? What about this woman who's really about a victim of David? 
it was not Bathsheba who lured David and seduced him so that she can commit adultery with him, but it was rather David who saw him, or who saw her rather, taking a bath. That's why she's, she's called Bathsheba. She loves to take a bath. Now, how many of you love taking baths? I hope you do. You know, we live in a tropical nation, and, uh, you know, at least, how many of you take a bath once a day? At least once a day. <laughs> Yesterday, I, you know, came to the office, and uh, we, we uh, were meeting, and, you know, before coming here, I had to take a bath, of course. And I was on my way to do a child dedication, and before I picked up my wife, when I went home to change, I decided to take another bath because it's just too warm. Now, this particular lady, it's just normal in Israel to take baths. It just so happened that during that time, in the king's palace, David's view is really, you know, he has a very good vantage point of the city. And the houses during that time were made in such a way that the bathrooms are actually outdoors, but you still have walls. You know, we went to a resort last month, and uh, when we checked out the bathroom, lo and behold, the bathroom was actually situated almost outside of the room. And you can actually see the stars in the sky as you are sitting on the throne of grace. And you're wondering if there are people climbing the palm trees looking at you. And so I'm, I'm imagining that this is probably the situation of Bathsheba and David glancing there. I don't know how many times David did this where he would watch women taking a bath. It did not say in the scripture, but somehow we saw that this thing happened. Now, let's study the character of Bathsheba. First, she really had a good lineage. Because the picture that we have with Bathsheba is rather negative. Now, how many of you, when you hear the word Bathsheba or the name Bathsheba, negative picture comes to mind? Please raise your hand. Diba negative? Diba? If you say somebody to somebody, na Bathsheba siya. That's negative. That means that that person probably committed adultery. You know, because Bathsheba is almost attached to the name adultery. But in reality, you've got to check out her family line. You know, she came from a good family. She came from a good pedigree. She had, you know, uh, godly uh, parents. Now, if you look at her, her name, Bathsheba, Bathsheba means daughter of the oath. Her father was so careful to name the daughter Bathsheba because they probably, you know, looked at the, the covenant of God upon Israel and she named her daughter based on the covenant of God towards this land. Now, how many of you are parents here? Please raise your hand. How many of you named your children? When you name your children, you normally ask God for the name. And you normally, you know, normally what the name that you give your children normally reflects the character that they have or the description that they have. Right? When Jacob was named Jacob, the meaning of Jacob was deceiver. 
Thus, he became a deceiver. Moses' name is drawn out. That's why he was drawn out of the water. Okay, that's why, you know, when we name our children, we better be careful to give them the proper names, right? And so Bathsheba was named daughter of the oath. And, you know, who, who's her, you know, parents? In verse 3, we can find out that when David was seeing Bathsheba and she sent someone to get her, we see that that person that he sent, maybe a servant, maybe a staff, maybe a cabinet member, official, or whatever. In verse 3, we can find in uh, chapter 11, And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, Isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of whom? Of Eliam, or Eliam, and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Now, this particular guy is saying, King, you better be careful there because this is no ordinary woman. This woman that you kind of like is the daughter of Iliam. And later on, we're going to talk about Iliam. And he's not only a daughter of Iliam, but he's also the husband or the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. We see the name Iliam in verse uh, 3 of Samuel. And then in First Chronicles, you also see the name of the father of Bathsheba as Amiel. It says, you know, these were the children born to uh, him there. Shammon, Shoba, Nathan, and Solomon. These four were by Bathsheba, daughter of Amiel. If you look at the meaning of Iliam or Amiel, it means God is my kinsman or God is my family. You see that this particular father comes from a godly origin. Not only that you would find out that in chapter 23, verse 34, that Eliam is no ordinary guy. In fact, you will see that in the scripture it says, Eliphelet, the son of Abishai, or Ahasbai, the son of Maakathite, Eliam, the son of Ahithophel, the Gilonite, among David's mighty men. Eliam was one of the 30 mighty men of David. Eliam was one of his officers. He's one of the members of his staff. You know, kumbaga sa Pentagon, siya yung nakaupuron in front of David. He's probably one of those who serve as the close-in companion of David. He's probably, I don't know, a commander aside from Joab. He's probably serving as the one commanding several troops out there in the army. So this is Eliam. That's why the guy who was warning King David said, This is Bathsheba, but wait. She's no ordinary girl. She is the daughter of one of your officials. Are you getting the picture? Yet David persisted and insisted, I want her. She's mine. Of course, you know the story. And they both fell. Not only that, we know the father of Bathsheba, but can we go on further? Let's know the grandfather of Bathsheba. The grandfather of Bathsheba is, you know, Iliam, the son of Ahithophel. Probably this is the first time you've heard this name, Ahithophel. But Ahithophel is actually one of David's trusted counselors. Ahithophel, her grandfather, is really one of the best counselors of David. In fact, in 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 23, it says, The counsel that Ahithophel, everybody say Ahithophel. Pag masyado mahaba, ahi na lang. Everybody say ahi. Yan, tawagin na lang ahi, okay? Ahithophel, Gave to those, uh, gave in those days, were treated as if God 
himself had spoken. Now, how many of you have a confidant or a counselor? Somebody that you trust, somebody that you go to every time you're in trouble, somebody that you ask for counsel. Ahithophel was such you know, a counselor that when he gives counsel to the king, it's as if God was the one speaking. And this was the reputation of Ahithophel's counsel to David. Somebody who's valuable in the king's uh, cabinet, among the cabinet officials. Maybe some of you are wondering, later on in David's life, Ahithophel actually turned around when one of the sons of David <clears throat> wanted to uh, instigate a coup d'etat against the king. Ahithophel actually turned around and sided with Absalom instead of stayed loyal with David. I, I wanted to understand what Ahithophel was going through at that time because I believe since David, kumbaga sa Tagalog, since tinalo ni David, yung apo niya. Siguro sabi ni Ahithophel, eh, talo-talo na to. Are you getting the picture? So Ahithophel is not a disloyal man. Ahithophel is one of the trusted and loyal companions of David. It's, he's a good friend. He's one of those that stay with, stay with David in, in battle. He's one of those who actually go to David in the temple worshiping their God. Ahithophel was a trusted man, but yet David was the one who broke covenant with the family of Ahithophel and Eliam and Bathsheba. Now let's check out the husband of Bathsheba, Uriah. Uriah the Hittite, of course, is not a Jew, but he is a convert to Judaism. That's why Uriah also has a Hebrew meaning. You know, it says Uriah the Hittite, 30 and 7 in all. In fact, if you notice, Uriah is also one of David's 30 mighty men. Um. In other words, si David pala talaga tuso. Not only is the father of Bathsheba part of his close-in among the 30, but even the husband is one of those who sits with him regularly in his table. He's not some stranger that David does not know. He is one of those that come in and out of the courts of the king and have regular discussions about battle plans and wars. In fact, he's probably a convert to Judaism simply because of the faith that he saw in David when he killed Goliath in the battle several years back. That's why maybe David was instrumental in converting the Hittite from his religion to that of Judaism. And yet David was also the same guy who stabbed him in the back. Are you still here? This gets better. Uriah the Hittite, Bathsheba's husband. His name means Yahweh is my light. And he is one of David's mighty man of valor. Of course, we find out that Bathsheba comes from a good family line. But secondly, let's find out her great failure. Of course, we know that it was David who <coughs> initiated and planned for the adultery how many of you know that you can always say no to sin? When you are tempted by the enemy, you can actually say no. The Bible says, The grace of God that appeared to all men, 
<clears throat> teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. But yet, Bathsheba, when she was faced with an invitation from the king, now if you were Bathsheba, and you were living in Jerusalem during that time, and you received an invitation from none other than the king, the most famous king, would you say no to that invitation? Don't answer this. Just think with me for a moment. Maybe she was thinking, pagkakataon ko na. I don't know if she was thinking, you know, maybe this is my ticket out or maybe my, 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 my hope or I don't know, maybe she's a, she's a knight in China. I, I don't know what's going through the mind of Bathsheba. Or maybe she was just forced into going to David because that's the king's word inviting her. That's why in verse 4 it says, Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. Here you can see that in the statement, it was all David doing this. He was the one initiating the adultery. She had purified herself from her uncleanness. You know what this means? She just had her monthly period. And she just got out of purification rites, which is required for women in that, in that, during that time, according to the Levitical law. Then she went back home in verse 5. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, What? I am pregnant. Now when David found out about this, being a strategist, he had an idea. He sent word to Joab. Okay? Maybe he said to uh, Bathsheba, Don't worry, I'll take care of this. He sent back Uriah from the battle lines and he told Uriah, you know, how's everything out there? And Uriah said, well, you know, God's been gracious to us. We've been winning battles. And David told Uriah, why don't you go and relax? Go back home. Spend time with your wife. And you know what's David doing? David is actually making a plot, a cover-up, so that just in case Uriah goes home and spends time with his wife, and they find out that she's pregnant, guess what? Who's the father of the baby of Bathsheba? They're going to point it to Uriah, right? That's the strategy of David. But guess what Uriah did? Uriah decided not to go back home. He decided to sleep at the entrance of the palace together with the master servants. <laughs> and when David found out, he called for Uriah the next day. and He said, why did you not go back to your home to sleep with your wife? And you know what Uriah said? The Ark of the Covenant and the armies of Israel are out there sleeping in the tents. How can I go back home and spend time with my wife? How many of you know that at this particular point in time, Uriah was probably more godly than David? Agree kay lahat, no? You know, maybe David was planning to just, you know, I want you to relax. I'm, you know, I want you to spend time with your wife. Take her to the spa. I'm going to send you tickets to Bruno Mars concert. You know, just, just take it easy, man. Uriah chose not to do that. So what David did that night, he said, you know, I'm going to, you know, let's, let's do this. Let's have a dinner, banquet. And uh, it's a time to celebrate. 
Tomorrow you go back to the battle lines. I just want to thank you for spending time here in my palace. So what David did was he made Uriah drunk, hoping that Uriah would go home to his wife and sleep with her. And guess what happened that night? Uriah, in his drunken mind, decided to stay outside at the palace of the king together with the master's servants. And you know, I found out that even in the drunken state of Uriah, he is still more godly than David. And so David was so frustrated, he said, Ah, okay, I am umuwe. Plan B. He wrote a letter to Joab, the commander-in-chief, uh, the, the commander in the, in the battle lines. And he said to Uriah, I want you to hand-deliver this. You know what's in the letter? He wrote to Joab, I want you to place Uriah where the battle is the fiercest. Make sure that he dies. Can you imagine that? Uriah was carrying a letter of his own death warrant. <laughs> He's probably singing the song Happy, you know, that day. You know, because he's excited. He's going back to the battle line. And that same day, he died. Of course, we see, if you've moved further to the, to the verses in the same chapter, chapter 11, Bathsheba mourned for Uriah. And in verse 27, it says, And when the morning was past, David sent and fetched her to his house, and she became his legal wife. Because she's no longer married, right? How many of you know that at this particular point in time in the relationship, it's now actually legal for him to take her as the wife, but yet this thing that he did had not pleased the Lord. It's, it says that but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. You know, we can try to cover up our sins. We can try to, you know, do some plans to, unless we face our sins and, and really repent of it before the Lord, guess what? God will not be pleased. Amen. The good thing about this is the story of Bathsheba did not end here. Because number three, we will see her godly legacy. What happened? After that, you know, she's now taken into the palace. She's pregnant. But then in the next chapter, chapter 12, God sent Nathan, another prophet. You know, the first prophet in the life of David was Samuel. The second prophet was Nathan. And Nathan was actually there to rebuke David, to correct David upon his sin. And so David realized that he has sinned before the Lord. And that's where David wrote Psalm 51. And he was writing, according to your mercy, please forgive me. Create in me a clean heart. You know, uh, create in me a steadfast spirit. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. He was writing that Psalm 51, and that is the outcome of this. And guess what? If God will hear us broken before Him, do you know what He'll do? He will forgive. Amen. And that's the good God that we have. Amen. That is the God of grace, and the God of love, and the God of mercy that we have. That's why I believe that, yeah, Moms, you may be here and you may have a lot of problems. You probably have a lot of failures, a lot of mistakes in the past. But don't let your mistakes be the summary statement of your life. 
Because God is not done with you yet. Amen. God is here to restore. Amen. God is here to make sure that His glory will shine in your life. Thus, Bathsheba had a godly legacy. And probably we don't know this. We're probably not aware. Okay, Bathsheba, you know, she had her first son died because of an illness. But yet, he had another son. And we know him to be Solomon. And so in verse uh, 24 of chapter 12, it says, Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went into her and lay with her. And she gave birth to a son. And he named him who? Solomon. Now the Lord loved him. This is a total opposite of the picture that we see in the previous chapter wherein the Lord said he was displeased with David. In this chapter, after David went out to God and was broken before him and repented of his sin, I believe even Bathsheba was repenting of their sin before the Lord. That's why when Bathsheba got pregnant the second time with this baby named Solomon, the Lord, the Bible says, the Lord loved him. And how many of you would like the Lord to love your children? Amen. He's got a destiny upon every child that we have. In verse 25, it says, and he sent word through, the Nathan, the, through Nathan the prophet and named him what? Jedidiah. He is the original Jedi Knight. Okay? Jedidiah. Okay? He named him Jedidiah for the Lord's sake. In fact, if you look at the name Solomon, Solomon means peace. And Jedidiah means beloved of Jehovah. Here we can see that the shame of the adultery has been taken away by God. God took away her tarnished name and even the shame that the adultery has been attached to that name Bathsheba. We're probably not aware of this, but somehow when God elevated Solomon to be the next king, Solomon was not the eldest among the sons of David. In fact, Bathsheba was the last wife of David. By the way, David had eight wives. Don't ask me why. God is in no way condoning many wives, okay? But David was the la- uh, Bathsheba was the last wife, and Michael or Michal was the first and she was the daughter of King Saul. Now in Second, uh, First Chronicles chapter three, verse five, these were the children born to David in Jerusalem: Shimea, and the second is Shoba. I'm not sure if he is Chinese, Shoba or Shobe. Okay, uh, and then there are two names: Nathan and Solomon. Nathan, if you remember, Nathan was the name of the prophet that rebuked him. But yet, he also was the same name that they chose for one of their children. Meaning to say that they probably appreciate the fact that God corrected them and restored them in their walk with Him. And this is rather interesting. For by Bathsheba, Bathsheba, the daughter of Amiel. It did not end there. We all know that Solomon was the wisest king. But yet, if you look at the lineage of Christ in Matthew chapter 1, you will find that Solomon was also there in the genealogy of Christ. And this is actually a summary of the different names, but yet I'm just going to get one. And to Jesse was born David, the king. And to David was born Solomon by her, or Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. So we would see that Solomon was actually chosen by God to be part of the lineage of Christ. What a blessing. Can you imagine that? You being an adulterer and God in His mercy and grace, choosing one of your children 
to be in the direct lineage of Jesus Christ. But wait, there's more. Because not only was Solomon chosen, you'll find out that in the book, the Gospels, there are two genealogies of Christ. First one was found in Matthew. The second one is found in the book of Luke. And historians would say that the book of Matthew is really the genealogy of Joseph, the carpenter. And the book of Luke is the genealogy of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And this is what you will find in Luke chapter 3, verse 31, which was the son of Melea, which was the son of Menan, which was the son of Matatha, which was the son of Nathan, which was the son of David. In other words, two of the sons of Bathsheba were found in the lineage of Jesus Christ. One to the father, which is Joseph, and the other one directly related to the mother, who is Mary. How many of you know that that is the ultimate grace that you will find as a mother who failed before God and yet being chosen by Him for His purpose and for His glory? Amen. Come on, give the Lord praise for that. What an amazing story. You know, when God saves someone, He doesn't just forgive them. He elevates them. He promotes them. When God restores you, when He restores me, when you come before the Lord and ask for forgiveness, guess what? Not only will He wipe away your sins, He will give you a new purpose. He will give you a new life. He will give you a new vision. He will give you a new mission in your life. And that's exactly what happened to Bathsheba. Bathsheba is not the story of a perfect woman. But the story of how God's grace can be in a person's life. She is not the model of a perfect woman, but of a woman whose life was amazingly touched by grace and how completely accepted she was after that. In fact, it was the grace of God that made Bathsheba the model mother that she was. Not according to her performance. I mean, she could probably bake a nice you know, cupcake. She'd probably be able to cook good, I don't know, karikare or whatever, or hummus. But yet that was at the basis of her being the best mom. It's all by the grace of God. Amen. But wait, there's more. How many of you are familiar with the book of Proverbs? Solomon, he said that he, you know, he said to be the one who wrote Proverbs, 3,000 Proverbs all in all. Solomon was the wisest king, but yet he was also not so wise in the area of having women in his life. One of the weaknesses of Solomon is women and wine. In fact, uh, the Bible says in Second uh, Kings chapter 11, verse 3, that Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Can you add that? Somebody add that. That's about a thousand women in your life. Can you imagine that? I think one wife is enough. One wife is too much, right? But Solomon had seven... <laughs> I love ya. Happy Mother's Day. But Solomon had 700 wives. And I'm trying to imagine, I'm trying to grasp this. 1,000 wives or you know, women in your life. It will take you three years to see the first woman that you saw last year. If you're to see one person or one woman one day, one woman a day, 
365 days in a year, that's 365 women, forward it, it will take you the next two and a half years to see the next woman, the first woman. You know, you, 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 know, you book, okay, with my secretary, I'm going to see you in two, in two years' time, okay? That's what happened to Solomon. But yet we see that Proverbs 31 lays out an exemplary model of the, the woman that God has given in the life of Solomon. You will see that verse 31, verse 1 says, These are the sayings of King Lemuel. In fact, King Lemuel, according to some scholars, is the pet name of Solomon given to him by his mother because she married a, uh, you know, the Pharaoh's daughter. And it's like, almost like a, a name of correction to him. And so the Bible says, the sayings of King Solomon, an inspired, or Lemuel, an inspired utterance, oracle, or prophecy, whom? His mother. Who was his mother? Bathsheba taught him. The wisest man who ever lived was taught none other than a woman or a mother named Bathsheba. And I believe the, the impact of the wisdom of Solomon was there because of a wise woman who guided his son, or her son, rather. In verse 2, it says, Listen, my son, listen, son of my womb. Listen, my son, the answer to my prayers. And I believe this is Bathsheba talking about Solomon. Do not spend your strength on women. Your vigor on those who ruin kings. How many of you know that that is a wise counsel from a mother? Knowing that Solomon's background is really, you know, 700 wives. I don't know if that's because he's like a gigolo or he's really handsome or maybe because he's, because he's the richest. And many of those are really about alliances. But yet, if you fast forward Proverbs 31, you will find out that Bathsheba is actually giving a counsel to his son. If you're going to look for a wife, look for these qualities in a woman. And she first said, you got to first look for a noble wife. And she said, verse 10, a wife of noble character who can find. She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. How many single men do we have in this place? Please raise your hand. Single men. Find a noble wife according to the mother queen, queen mother. Bathsheba. Secondly, find a blessed mother. Verse 27, she watches over the affairs of her household, does not eat the bread of idleness. Hindi siya mahilig mag-chismis. Yan. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. A blessed mother is what you're looking for. And lastly, find a godly woman. Verse 29, many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive. Let's all read this, verse 30. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Amen. Counsel. A counsel from a mother who failed, who's been a victim of adultery. Don't let your past failures be the summary statement of your life. God has something more that He's planned for you. And He's there to restore. Because the grace of God is there to restore, to renew, and to redeem. 
And I believe that many of us are here today as we come before the Lord. You know, maybe some moms are here also and you have some failings. Maybe some husbands and fathers are here and you have some failings. Maybe you're a single person and you've made some wrong decisions in your life. Guess what? It's never too late. The grace of God is always there to work it out. Ephesians chapter 1, this is my last scripture. Verse 7, it says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, through the blood of Jesus, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us. And His grace and His mercy is unlimited. Kumi anli rice at me unlimited iced tea, guess what? Jesus has an unlimited grace that He has for us. Amen. We hope you were inspired by that message. Stay updated on coming events and services by making us part of your day on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also log on to victoryalabang.org and download the Victory Alabang app. Happy Mother's Day and stay connected.